the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Happy Friday and welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life Thanks. alongside Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for welcoming me. That's Ian Simpkins. Hi. My name is Brian Fromm. Howdy. How are you doing oh. today? Oh, I'm great. Thanks for welcoming me to the show. It's Friday. <laughs> Friday. I barely could just say welcoming me to the show. Welcoming me. It's going to be a hard talking day today. That's my Christianity today. <laughs> Christianity today. I'm, I'm like a three day streak right now with Christianity today. And uh, yeah, excited that it's Friday. We've made it through another week and uh, and looking forward to it. And next week, man, I don't know. I don't know if I've mentioned this to people. I'm officiating a wedding next week, which is something that uh, you and I have talked before as pastors. We just love to do. Uh, but even more so is when you are getting flown somewhere to do it. I get to go to California next week, bring in my daughter. Are you leaving next week? I am to do a wedding. And can I tell you something crazy about my life? I have literally never stepped foot in the state of California before. No kidding. East Coast guy. So that's way out there. So I wish I'd known before this moment that you were not going to be there next week. Yeah, I gotta, you knew this. That's the first time hearing of it. John, did you, did you know that? Do you know any of this? No, no one knew, Brian. This do is... you know, I'm good with that. I'm not going to be here. <laughs> I was saying, yeah, you seem really remorse. You should do all of the shows by yourself. That's a terrible idea. And you should do it in two different voices. No. Be like these, talking back and nah, forth. No, 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 no. This is, this is a dangerous. <laughs> I'll do it because you dared me. But So I will be here Monday and Tuesday of next week. And then uh, I'm sure last time I wasn't here, you had unbelievable guest hosts who made us both look uh, not smart. So <laughs> <laughs> Not smart. I, I guess that also <laughs> yeah, made wanna... me look not smart. <laughs> But I remember coming back after you telling me the people who had guest hosted that one week, and I was like, um, "They all sound brilliant." <laughs> so yeah, I, I have some smart friends. You man. do, you do. So I, I'm impressed. So I'm looking forward to listening to the podcast of those shows and such. But that'll be next week. But uh, wanted to start today. Uh, you and I, I think we've done a good job of weaving in uh, when we see really heartwarming stories trying to weave them in and just try to encourage us. There's so much discouragement and anger in our world. And you and I on a radio show, we've got to dive into that often. So whether it be abortion or politics or uh, the church abuse, races, whatever it might be, I think you and I feel a burden to have to jump into those things. But every now and then it's, it's fun to go, hey, look, guys, not everything in the world is terrible. Uh, be encouraged. And we're going to start with one of those uh, with somebody by the name of Allie Stroker. Allie Stroker uh, is, uh, won the Tony Award the other night uh, for uh, playing uh, Addo, Addo? Addo Annie in uh, the Tony-winning revival of Oklahoma. And so you're probably out there going, what's the big deal of the lady who won the Tony? Uh, well, Miss Stroker is 31 uh, and she made Broadway history Sunday night when she was named best featured actress in a musical 
becoming the first performer ever who is confined to a wheelchair to win a Tony Award. And if you saw the interviews with her and saw this happen, uh, it was so encouraging. So just some background, and then we're going to listen to a little bit of what she had to say. Uh, Allie Stroker was just two years old when the car in which she was riding swerved to avoid a pile of leaves and collided head on with another vehicle. Just imagine this. Her brother suffered a traumatic brain injury. She suffered a spinal cord injury and at the age of two was paralyzed from the chest down. But still, she had a dream as she got older of being an uh, being uh, an actress. uh, And now she wins the Tony Award. So, uh heartwarming would love your 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 reaction to this but first let's listen to what she had to say this award is for every kid who is watching tonight who has a disability who has a limitation or a challenge who has been waiting to see themselves represented in this arena you are finally i need to thank my home team my best friends who have held my hands and pulled me around New York City for years, helping me. And finally, my family, Jake, Alyssa, JP, Tori, and Dan, mom and dad, thank you for teaching me to use my gifts to help people. I love you. We did it. I mean, wow. Right. Yeah, Just yeah. inspiring. What what do you, what kind of what kind of feels do you get as you are listening to that and reading all, about this? all the feels, all the feels. It actually makes me think of the uh, the Cody Lee story from about a week and a half ago yeah. when I was showing my wife. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, my, my wife uh, worked with kids with special needs in the city for years and years. And a reminder um, of Cody Lee was America's Got Talent, autistic and blind, if I remember yeah, right. Wasn't that the story? And blind. Right. And sat down on a piano and just wow. I mean, wowed everybody. It was Yes, it was the best of humanity in that moment because like the whole audience responded in turn and it wasn't pandering. That's the thing that I loved about it. Like it was like incredibly talented and legitimately just a beautiful moment. But I remember they didn't give him the golden buzzer because he was autistic. Right. Exactly. And and my wife was watching it and I'd already seen it. So I'm like kind of watching her watch it and Mm. she's tearing up. Um, not just because it's it's beautiful, but because this is like she's committed her life uh, um, to caring for people with autism. And she said, this does so much to dismantle some of the preconceived notions that couldn't be further from the truth. Wow. So like, I saw it as like a really moving story. She said, no, 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 this guy's a champion. Like, wow. like other people learning of this story will change the way they see people with autism. Mm. And I thought that's it's just one of many reasons I love my wife. Like she's thinking of the impact his story is having on a whole bunch of other people who have felt forgotten and overlooked and less than. And she kind of says the same thing in her speech. For those of you who have been waiting to see someone on a screen that looks like you to be represented like now, now is our moment. And I thought that's a pretty, that's a pretty powerful sentiment. So powerful. And you can, I love the part of her speech there where she thanked her, uh, her friends and family and basically said, you pulled me around New York from basically audition to audition. Right. And I mean, she's in a wheelchair. They literally were pulling around. And how many moments do you think she must have had? Like, like, think about this. I would think anybody who's wants to be on Broadway has countless moments where you're like, I'm not going to make it. I need to quit. Right. Totally. Uh, Especially in that field. How many moments do you think she had where she could have gone? You know what? They're never going to hire somebody in a wheelchair. Mm. They're never going to do this where she had an out. She had an absolute out where she could have been like, nope, I'm going to quit. I'm going to go do something more 
normal, whatever. Right. And uh, she persevered, and now she won the highest award. How inspiring is that? I think I think it's incredibly inspiring, and I think it's one of those things that I don't even feel the need to like create some sort of metaphor or some sort of. You're like it. It is in so many ways just the beauty of not. And this is part of what I loved about her speech because it isn't just me, my bootstraps. I made it happen. I'm is like no, no. no. I'm I'm here because of so many countless other people who also cared for me and walked alongside me. And it's it is both like personal victory, but also like we're the sum of the people that pour into us and surround us and kind of really admitting like I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to be here without them too. Yeah. It's just the best of both worlds. And she's like, This is this this chair isn't a limitation. I don't see it as a limitation. I don't need this to, you know what I mean? Like that kind yeah. of courage in a in an arena that I have like no real frame of reference or context for. I just yeah, I I think it's incredibly inspiring. And they're not giving the Tony Award out for, you know, pity. <laughs> it's right. not a pity. She earned the Tony Award and she happens to be uh, paralyzed in a wheelchair. And man, when I heard her speech, I was just like, like you said, how many men and women, especially those uh, who are in a wheelchair, who are paralyzed, whatever, the amount of inspiration that comes for that. And I really appreciate your wife's story about the autistic guy, uh, boy or young man who sang on America's Got Talent and what that must have done. Uh, just remember people where value comes from. I think also we, we need to remember that. So we want to start today with a little inspiration. If you haven't heard her story, we'd encourage you to Google it. Her name's Allie Stroker. Uh, congrats to her on winning the Tony the other night. Well, changing gears a little bit, we're going to come back and discuss a story out of Christianity Today uh, about this, why young adults need mentors, why young adults need mentors. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We are glad that you're joining us today. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. It's there that we post a lot of our articles that we discuss, other things. Ian's been doing a really good job of posting some of the most random funny stuff on there. <laughs> and those, it's amazing. Those are the things that get the most traction. Like, what was the one you posted the other day? Like, maybe the article about, like, somebody stepped out on uh, the ledge of the sh- of uh, maybe was it Sears Tower or something, one of those in Chicago, and it cracked. Yeah, the protective glass cracked. Yeah, was it at the, the Willis Tower maybe or somewhere? I still call it the Sears Tower. I think I'm with you on that, and that it cracked, and I was like, oh, that's a really random story. And then I click, and I'm like, look at all the people <laughs> interacting with I that. It's really funny. Or the other day when you asked people to comment on something, and I don't remember what it was, what it was but only in, the, only in like GIF form maybe. Oh, right. And uh, it was hilarious. So <laughs> if you're like, oh, I wish I could see that, you can at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show it on is Facebook. Really, it's super fun to be able to interact with people like it in real is. time because, the you know, the show's just two hours. But to be able to interact with people throughout the week is I, I really loved it. The show's two hours. OK, <laughs> <laughs> I know I signed up for that. <laughs> Since when? You could also get our uh, podcast. Uh, that is also The Common Good. You can find that wherever it is you get your podcasts. Uh, old shows online at 1160hope.com. And as always, you could text us 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG followed by your comment. Well, Ed Stetzer wrote an article that just came out this week on ChristianityToday.com. Uh, and it's something I think that you and I as pastors, it's somewhat near and dear to our hearts as former youth pastors and kind of uh, just wanting to see discipleship happen within our churches. And the title of the article is this, why young adults need mentors. 
Uh, and then he says this, it's the people, not the books that will make the biggest impact during your adult years. And I'm just, just that line right there. Either take your time as a youth pastor or, or when you left youth ministry and became uh, you know a senior pastor, uh, is there, do you believe, do you think he's right? Is it, especially in those younger years or maybe all the years you think he's right? It's the people, not the books that will make the biggest impact during those years. You think he's right? I always want to say both. I sometimes feel like, Go with I, it. I know the Stetzer's not saying this, but sometimes it's like, don't worry about books. Uh, Dumb old books. You just need people. And I'm like, no, keep reading books too, though. Because <laughs> books are good. Books are also good. And not just in like a silly anecdotal, like we should also be reading because, and I, I don't, I don't really want to spend too much time on this angle, but I think oftentimes those who mentor us still look a lot like us, you know, so they're, you know, and they're in a similar place in the country and they speak a similar language and they, you know, like there's a lot of similarities that I think books are really necessary for us to like expand our brains, understand really different perspectives and really different backgrounds. And in a lot of ways, mentors can do that, but yeah, don't. All I'm saying is, don't throw away the books. <laughs> it's it's a both and. Burn the books. Let, don't do that. <laughs> Let's let it be a both and. How okay. about that? Okay. okay. Uh, rather than debating whether people need mentoring, I think we think this is true. Uh, what does good mentoring look like to you? What do, What do you think good mentoring? When he, it's easy in the Christian world to use this word mentoring. What does good quality, meaningful mentoring look like? Yeah, I'll answer that two different ways because. Uh, at Community, we talk about apprentices a lot. You do? I knew so, that. So uh, I'll first read for you real quickly uh, our five-step apprenticeship program. Program? Structure. Rubric? Okay. Doesn't matter. Rubric. <laughs> Five steps. Uh, one is I do, you watch, we talk. Number two is I do, you help, we talk. Number three is you do, I help, we talk. Number four is you do, I watch, we talk. Number five is you do, someone else watches. Hmm. So this idea of like raising up leaders, coming alongside leaders, helping people actually not just like observe from the stands, but to actually take part yeah. in, whether it's yeah. small group leadership or it's on the arts team. And what we'll often say is like apprentices, they're not assistants, they're not gophers, they're not stand-ins, they're not just students. They're actually, it's, it's the act of like actually letting them lead. It's them learning to lead while they lead. That's, hmm. that's how we talk about apprenticeship, which I love that. It's sort of like... Hey, I want to. I want you to be my apprentice. And they're like, I'm not ready yet. And they're like, perfect. That's <laughs> wow. That's great. So often people will stay immobile until they're ready. Yeah. So when it comes to mentoring, which I think is um, really similar but a little bit different, um, but a lot of the qualities are the same. When I think of the mentors that have meant the most to me, yeah. Um, I think of qualities where like they asked questions not just to teach me a lesson, but because they actually cared about what I said. Yeah. Which was so humbling when you're 19 and you feel like a real dummy. And like somebody that you look up to that you see is brilliant. It's like, Hey, can you help me figure this out? Help me work this through. Like I, I was so, I still am so honored when I think about those moments where mm. like, Oh, they were actually letting me be a part of this. And I made so many dumb mistakes. I'm sure I gave really dumb answers, but I think, you know, mentorship in a lot of, in a lot of ways is just time invested in. I don't think you can microwave it. Uh, I don't think you can speed it along. I think it, it just takes time and it takes intentionality. And I think without, intentionality and care it just sort of feels more like training yes um and i not the training's bad no. right I mean, a lot of us need training just we different. Need to, right we need to tighten different up purpose. skills yep. and right the mentorship is like all right we're, we're gonna we're gonna do life together i think that the um best mentoring that i ever had in my life when i was young uh i didn't know i was being mentored you know what i mean yeah like totally. it wasn't like this person came to me and was like i'm going to mentor you now it, and not that there's anything wrong with that either, sure. like a mentoring program and, you know, this, that, but uh, 
I remember growing up, I was still in high school and into college. Uh, and there was this guy at our church as I was growing up. His name was Travis, is Travis, and uh, <laughs> still, still is. is. But, I, you know, as often happens in this mentoring kind of relationship, he was really close. Him and I were really close to, in a season. I haven't talked to the guy in 10 or 15 years now, right? Mm. But um, he, we played softball next to each other on the church softball team. I was a high school kid, and he was probably like our age, what we are now probably at that time, right? Mm. And uh, he did, I, somewhere, I don't know why, he made the decision that he was going to really build into my life. And all it meant was he would take me out to like go get dinner. And he would just kind of ask me questions and I didn't know what he was doing, right? right? I then go to Wheaton College. I leave. Well, he had a job where he would travel, and he would often come through O'Hare. And he began, every time he'd come through O'Hare, he'd call me. Hey, man, come on down. Let me buy you a meal. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Free meal. I'm in college, right? Yeah, no kidding. Can't then, pass that up. Then Carrie and I start dating. And he's hearing about this girl. So he's like, oh, bring that girl with you. Yeah, I'd love to meet her. And he starts kind of talking into both of our lives. And, and all of a sudden, now that I'm older, I look back and I'm like, Oh, now I see what he was doing. Mm. Like he was just, he was speaking into my life, not in even some real crazy formal way, but he was saying, you know what? I care about you. I see potential in you. I am going to help play my part in making you, helping you grow into an adult. And now I look back and I'm like, good night, man. He could have, that must've felt like a waste of time sometimes. And uh, just super thankful for it. Super thankful for it. Yeah. I, I mean, I am, I am the person I am today in large part for men and women that took the time to deal with a, a punk, mm. rebellious, argumentative, defensive young pastor. Like I really, I mean, I'm not even being hyperbolic. Like I, I think I would have imploded 10 years ago. Really? It, I really, really do. Like there's, there's, it's not only like people that I was able to bring crises to, it was wise people that saw the crash coming like, hey, you know, if you don't course correct soon, wow, you're you're headed for some real disaster. Yeah. And I'm not talking about anything like not scandalous yep, or anything, yep, but yep. just enough like, uh, you know, and, and Stetzer talks about this balancing motivation and care, right? Sometimes sometimes you need someone like cheering and mm. challenging. And sometimes you need people to say, hey, it's okay to take a day off mm. and like turn your phone off and like learn to self-care. You're, you're pouring out so much and it feels heroic. You're actually not doing yourself or your church any favors by, yeah. by not paying attention. And I never, like, that's, a, that's not advice I would seek out. It was advice that they, I, they had the boldness and courage and to speak in. And they could see it in your life. They're totally, looking back. Yeah. Totally. We have to tell people, and your church does great with this. Even, you know, <laughs> the leader of your church organization has written a book called Hero Maker. Yeah, right. Like, that's awesome. Uh, I've talked to our church before about like, you know, who's in front of you kind of helping you along and who's behind you that you're helping along. And if we all just took that seriously and kind of gave that kind of perspective. Yep. Church is going to be a healthy place. Well, coming up next, we mentioned earlier that sometimes we got to dive into tough subjects. And this is coming out of the Southern Baptist Conference uh, uh, meetings this past week and uh, a, a scandal out of the Village Church in Texas and some of the response. And uh, how do you deal with these kind of allegations at, on a church level? That's what we're going to talk about next on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We are glad to have you join us today. Uh, You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Old shows online at 1160hope.com. We have a podcast uh, also called The Common Good. And you can find that you can uh, subscribe to it. So, you you know, just come right up on your podcast feed. You can rate, review it. 
pass it off to your friends, uh, yell about it from the from the treetops. What, what am I talking about? Sometimes I just get lost. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate you owning that. Sometimes I just get. I'm going to make you that T-shirt. Treetops? What just, was that? Do, uh, do you think I meant mountain tops? Maybe. I, I do not want to play this game where I'm guessing what <laughs> the you high meant. Tops. Yeah, from the high tops. You're yelling it from your sneakers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, friends, if you ever thought our show was scripted, now it's, it's moments like that you go, nope, don't know what they're going to say. I'm going to make you a T-shirt though that just says, "quote Sometimes I get lost." <laughs> Brian from <laughs> what well, I think that's going to come back in a kicker segment. <laughs> I really uh, the hope end of the show. Keith's going to all you're going to hear is me going. Sometimes I get lost. <laughs> where, where am I? Who are you? <laughs> what is going on? What is this microphone in front of me? How did this get here? Oh, uh, you could text us at six, eight, six, eight, three. That's six, eight, six, eight, three. Type in CG followed by uh, your comment. Uh, so there's this article that's coming out this um, out of the Southern Baptist Conference. You and I, we, we spent some time yesterday or the day before talking about J.D. Greer and a lot of his statements out of the Southern Baptist Conference meeting this past week. Well, there's a one of the most well-known Southern Baptist uh, churches. I believe there's still a Southern Baptist church. Yeah, that would be why he spoke at the Southern Baptist yeah. Conference meeting uh, is Village Church out of Texas. It's a mega church uh, led by Matt Chandler. And... Uh, Cards on the table. I've told you this before. Maybe my single favorite pastor to listen to on a podcast. Really? Other than Ian Simpkins <laughs> is probably uh, is probably Matt Chandler. No, no. Like, I don't need that dishonesty in this house. It's Matt Chandler. <laughs> I, understand. I understand. I just enjoy listening to Matt Chandler. I think uh, I, I really do. Uh, and, and I was reading this article and uh, just a an ugly situation coming out of there. And it's also been interesting to see the reactions to it. People yeah. being defensive for him in the church. Other people, I think probably giving him too much blame for what's going on somewhere in the middle. So let me just read it to you a little bit. And then we're okay. going to play his response. Uh, and I don't even know where it's necessarily where I want to go. Just two pastors going, what do you do in this situation? No, like, what do you do? Uh, so Matt Chandler, pastor of a Texas mega church, that being the village church, uh, whose former a uh, youth minister has been charged with sexual molestation, addressed the scandal before a group of Southern Baptists and said his, quote, imperfect church takes abuse allegations seriously. So in January, Matt Tone, T-O-N-N-E, a former associate children's pastor, was indicted by a Dallas County grand jury on a charge of indecency with a, a child involving sexual contact. Um, in September of 2018, Chandler had a meeting with parents uh, who went to the camp. This happened at a camp setting, but now the parents of the child that it happened to are basically saying the church hasn't supported them and is actually suing the church, I believe. Uh, and so it's becoming a little bit of a, he said, uh, she said, and so let me play about a minute long. Chandler addressed this at the Southern Baptist convention uh, meeting this week. I was dealing with it, not just as a pastor, but as a daddy. Uh, I mean, my oldest daughter was, a cabin away from where this incident, alleged incident, took place. And so uh, we're working with the family, we're working with Cedar Hill Police Department. We call a meeting with all the parents um, that, that we knew and could find that were had a child at that camp and then had Doc, De- Detective uh, Hernandez come and actually be in the meeting with the parents because we were being told there's certain things you can say, there's certain things you can't say. Um, and so we just didn't want to look shady at all. And, and so we actually let the parents ask Detective Hernandez, anything they wanted to ask. That weekend, 
I stood up in front of the entire Village Church, September of 2018, and I announced to our congregation that there had been an incident at a camp six years ago, that uh, Detective Michael Hernandez was leading point, that we were walking alongside of the family. The statement that I read that morning was, that morning was actually edited by the family. And so just, uh, just every church, every parent, first of all, every parent's worst nightmare um, and every church's worst nightmare and everything wrong with the church. Like there's so much ugliness. And I read this and my heart grieved so much. And then you hear Chandler, but then you also hear the parents say, no, they feel like they've been more careful about their own reputation than about us. And it's just so ugly. And I don't know what to believe. Not, not that it matters what I believe, but uh, I don't know what to ask, man, except what was your reaction as you read about this, as you heard these quotes or just that this kind of stuff just keeps happening in churches? Yeah, I mean, uh, we it's you're right to give the caveat that we we both respect Chandler a lot. We do. You know, so I think um, there is a predisposition to trust his judgment, trust his leadership. Um, so that's probably a worthwhile card on the table statement. Yep. It does. It just breaks my heart. I reading stories like this, I do sometimes struggle to like, to really think empirically because mm. I, like in my gut just makes me so sad to think about victims and people affected and families and just the, the many layers that I know very, very well having counseled families through stuff like this before. Yeah. And some of the, some of what can plague you when thinking about what could we have done differently or what do we miss or what are the signs or what are the, you know what I mean? Like it just is, um, is really, really heartbreaking and is something that we cannot shy away from mm-hmm. talking about. It, yeah. You're so right about that. It is heartbreaking. You probably have the same reaction. Whenever I read a story like this, um, and that involves kids and this, it makes me really angry. Like I read this and I just get totally, and that might be an obvious statement, but I don't know that it is. It makes me so angry that a, that people do this at all anywhere. Absolutely. But then within a church I know. where, where trust is so important and where the gospel is literally just being ripped through the mud here. Like what, you know, for these kids, for these families and, uh, it's just, oh man, it makes me so, so mad. But I think you bring up a great point as churches, we have got to think about these things sadly in advance. Like, what are we going to do to protect, right. uh, if something God forbid ever happens, what are we going to do to inform and to deal with it? And it makes me so mad, but man, it's just the, uh, it really is unfortunately not just the culture, but in some ways also the church culture that we, uh, find ourselves in. What I appreciate about Chandler among other things is, um, he actually admitted that the church had been accused of failing to care for a victim back in 2015. Yeah. And, uh, and again, they probably had that information, but him like owning it again. And this is sort of how the article ends. He just says, um, we're just not experts in this. I was not trained in any mm. of this. Which, to your point, um, cannot be an excuse anymore. No. Like, and again, this is somebody that I respect. That I'm not. I'm not throwing not stones throwing at all. Him, yeah. But um, I'm. T- I'm talking to our churches. I'm talking to our seminaries. I'm talking to our like in general. Hundred percent. It cannot. We cannot keep having these. Oops, a daisy. Guess we'll learn from this because there's still collateral damage. Yeah. Like people's lives are drastically altered. And we're never going to get it perfectly, but that doesn't yes. mean we don't still try and we don't still grieve. And we don't still get angry about it. And we, and we don't still stand up for the marginalized and the exploited and the hurt and the, and the victim. And I think um, we need to see more of that. And I, I, I think 
we're headed in the right direction. I hope but then, so. I, but then I, I read just as much about more and more cover up and more yeah. and more. That's not my department and more and more. That wasn't my issue or more and more. I didn't think that was that big of a deal. And that kind of stuff honestly boils my blood and grieves me at the same time. It's yeah. a very confusing emotion for me, but it's something that I know that we have to do better. Yeah. And so you and I are very different churches. I would guess in big churches, it can feel overwhelming because it's like, how do I keep my arms around all this stuff? And it's got to be about systems and this, that it's small churches like mine, smaller churches. It's like, ah, that wouldn't happen here. Right. Like we've got all our, we know all our people and uh, both of those can't happen. Like you said, we right. have to assume in some ways that this kind of stuff could very well happen in our churches, in our, uh, in quite frankly, as parents, we need to assume that with everything and just uh, not be fearful, but, but think through it and be protective. So I'm praying for that church, that family, man. I just hope, I don't know. I'm just praying for him. That's, it makes me so angry. Well, uh, coming up next, we are going to tackle an opinion piece by Nicholas Kristoff out of the New York Times uh, talking about uh, a $295 burger being sold in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. That is what is coming up next on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. i got to be honest, man. If you, if, you, if you were part of choosing this new music, it's good. Oh, even if you're lying, I appreciate it. It's good. That's how much of a words of affirmation person I am, even if you're totally pandering right now. I'm it not, still and, feels good. And I think, you know, one of the things about this show is to help people understand, like, uh, get to know us a little bit. Music's just not my thing. Like, I, when I hear good music, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's good. But, like, I'm okay you've really cared about what music we come in and out of. And you always ask me, is this good? I'm like, I don't care. Great. <laughs> sure. But then when I hear it, I'm like, oh, that was good. Well, yeah, yeah, good yeah, choice. Right that's good. You are pretty easy going about that. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's just, uh, it, it is one of, uh, music does not, it's, it's not a huge deal for me. And so, but now, but now when your new songs are coming through, I'm like, yeah, okay. You dig it. You can groove. Okay. All right. Dig and groove. I'm all over it. That's right. <laughs> Far out, man. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, online, 1160hope.com. Subscribe to the podcast, and uh, you can text us at 68683. Uh, so Nicholas Kristoff, I don't know if you ever read him in the New York Times, but he's an opinion writer. And every now and then you read, whether you agree with these writers or not, you read with them and you're like, oh, that's a good writer. <laughs> like that person. Yeah can write, even if you don't agree with them, you can acknowledge uh, skill. And so in the New York Times, uh, just the other day, he wrote an opinion piece uh, juxtaposing the malnourishment issue in Guatemala versus what he was seeing in some uh, New York and other places, just um, uh, restaurants. So let me unpack this a little bit for you. And then uh, I wonder if you think that this article will make a difference for people or if people are just like, nope. Uh, so it goes like this. It says, uh, Raul is a happy preschooler tumbling around four and five year olds, but something is off. It's not his behavior. It's the same as all the other little kids. Rather, it's his face. The baby fat is gone. And although he's only three feet, five inches tall, the height of an average five year old, the older face seems grafted on. Sure enough, Raul turns out to be nine. Malnutrition has left his body and mind badly stunted. He's one of almost one quarter of all children worldwide who are stunted from malnutrition. Wow. Here in Guatemala, almost half of the children, he writes, are stunted. In some Mayan villages, it's 70%. So that's that's how the article starts. And then the article takes a change. It goes to bold and it says, in another world, on the Upper East Side of Manhattan... 
The restaurant Serendipity 3 offers a $295 hamburger. Oh. Ultimate, alternately, alternatively, it sells, listen to this, a $214 grilled cheese sandwich. How? And a $1,000 Sunday. Well, that one makes sense. And now it goes back to Guatemala. Stunting is probably the best marker of child health inequality, this doctor says. Stunting is a key driver of intergenerational poverty. And it goes on to say that those children who are malnourished and stunted uh, end up doing worse in school. They lose IQ points, uh, all this stuff. And then it goes back. For the diner who has everything, restaurants offer gold in food. A Dubai restaurant, for example, has sold a cupcake enveloped in a gold leaf. The gold is tasteless, so its only purpose is extravagant novelty and a glittering price. In this case, more than $1,000 per cupcake. Jeez. And then he keeps going on about Guatemalan malnutrition. And then he gets later. Sotheby's last year auctioned off a bottle of wine. The label was stained and there were signs of seepage, but the single bottle sold for $558,000. And then he proceeds to go from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, where they refer to the 45%, 1% disconnect. He says this, malnutrition is the underlying cause of 45% of the deaths in children under five, yet less than 1% of global foreign assistance goes to addressing undernutrition. And then he ends with this. The ranch in Malibu, California, offers a luxury nine-night weight loss program for $11,400. And then he says, in 2018, an estimated 60% of cats and 56% of dogs in the United States were overweight or obese. Wow. Pet obesity remains a health threat, according to the Association for Pet Obesity Prevention. And then he ends his article this way. Something's wrong with this picture. Wow. I mean, powerful writing, but man, I, I mean, you can't read that and be like, oh yeah, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Like right. that's, it's just crazy. <laughs> I have to jump off of this is crazy. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. I, I, wealth disparity is not a new issue. I think it's getting worse. Um, and I, there's so much of this article that moves me. And so much of my cynic that wonders what difference will that make? Any, yeah. Anyone who's buying thousand dollar Sundays, are they are they really going to be convicted by a piece like this? Maybe, man. Maybe. I, pray to, I pray to God they would be. But I also want to be really careful that just because I'm not spending with that kind of extravagance, to be careful to not identify as the poor. Yes, you know I, like I mean, it. like it's easy for us to feel like when Paul writes to Timothy command those who are rich in this present world to be generous. It's, it's easy to think, Oh, he's talking about somebody else, right? Like nobody's rich, but everyone knows someone who is. And by global standards, you and I are way high on the list, Mm -hmm. but it's so easy to, to feel like we're not. And I think that's dangerous too. And I think I told the story once about, I was complaining about, you know, some local mega church that had built something extravagant and I couldn't believe it. And was talking to my buddy back in Detroit. And I had somehow in the story mentioned something about our, our coffee that we provide every week. And he goes, wait, hold on. You serve coffee every Sunday. (laughs) I was like, well, yeah. And he goes, man, what I wouldn't give to be able to serve coffee every Sunday to my church. So what I realized in that moment, what, what was my floor was like his ceiling. And I was like, okay, so there is something to great point. Having, having a right perspective there, but that kind this kind of disparity and those kinds of statistics and how little actually goes to solving this issue. Um, Like I remember reading years ago about, like waterborne illnesses being the number one killer of humans worldwide. 
And um, experts had asserted that you could fix the issue globally for about $11 billion. Mm. And then that was juxtaposed with um, at least the year this article came out was in one year in the United States, we spend more than $14 billion on ice cream. Wow. So you think, okay, $11 billion to solve the number one killer of people worldwide. And that's we spend more than that in one year in one country on ice cream, something we could all easily go without for one year, yep. right? Why doesn't that happen? Mm-hmm. Like, what what is missing? Is it conviction? Is it disbursement of resources? I mean, we can get all political if we yep. want. We can get all theological. I'd love to know how this hits you and what you think is a possible way forward. Yeah, I think the answer to that question real fast is proximity. Yeah. It's not our neighbors who are dying because of waterborne illnesses. Or, Some are, though. But it's not in front of us. Right. You know, and so. It should be. 100% I'm with you. But, um, you know, when I read articles like this, it, you make a really good point not to go to, well, I'm the poor. If you're hearing this, you are closer to the people who can buy the $295 hamburger than the malnutrition kid. Right. Uh, so this is not a wagging of our finger. And what I think Christoph does a really good job here of is making it a little bit ridiculous, mm. like to make it so stark. But really, the answer has got to be and it often is like not how do we how do we um, as individuals take care of all the malnutrition in the world? But it is. Can I do? Can, is there anything I can do? It's why we have people like Cross International in here or food for the poor. It's why our churches do stuff. Our church does stuff with Africa, New Life or other stuff. Right. And you sponsor one kid, two kids, three kids like, I know, and that obviously is such a small, small drop in the bucket compared to worldwide malnutrition. But it's important to that kid, (laughs) you know, Hmm. it's important to that kid. So I think that might be an answer. Yeah, I think that's a great answer, man. But really, I just wanted to put that on us and just go, hey, feel this. Wrestle with it. Pray for it. Do something. Do something. And so at least you're part of the solution. Hour one is in the books. This is The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're glad to have you join us today. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, online at 1160hope.com. You can text us at 68683. And you can find our podcast wherever it is, whatever platform you use to get your podcast. Uh, we ask that you subscribe, that you rate, that you review, and uh, hope that you enjoy listening to us on podcasts, whether you do it at double the speed or I tried that the other day, not listening to us, listening to just a podcast like yeah. I normally listen to on double the speed. Yeah. That's the most ridiculous thing I ever did, man. <laughs> like, my guess is people get used to it. But I was it's like, uncomfortable, right? Oh, my yeah. gosh. I would bet the reverse is true that if you're normally doing stuff on double speed that you probably then listen to something on normal speed, it would sound really slow. Yeah, like, like people are drunk or something. But man, this one was like, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. So I wonder if people listen to us at half the speed. That would be awesome. Would it be? Would it be? I, that's I'm four gonna, hours. I want to go try. Yeah, right. I want to go try that. Uh, so last night, uh, you a hockey. Yo, you told us the other day you're a hockey fan. Mm-hmm. Detroit Red Wings. Yeah. Uh, are you a general hockey fan or just the Red Wings? 
Um, oh, gosh, that's a tricky question. Yep. More Red Wings than general hockey fan. Yep. I, I really love the pace of hockey, though. I think it's I think it is one of the most exciting sports. I actually to watch. watched it. I watched. We're going to get to game seven of the uh, Stanley Cup finals last night. I watched it with my kids. And uh, oh, yeah. That, oh, was that two nights ago? Man, the whole everything runs together for me these days. <laughs> uh, and I was watching it with my kids and I never watch hockey with my kids like that's I'm not a big hockey guy. And my kid, one of my my daughter, Emily, was like, hockey's really fun because <laughs> it doesn't really stop. And they're right. right. So I said, yeah, it's great. So in Game 7, the St. Louis Blues uh, beat the Boston Bruins in Game 7 to win the Stanley Cup in Boston uh, to win their first ever uh, Stanley Cup championship in 50-plus years. It was uh, this really great thing. Uh, But if you've been watching it all, the journey the St. Louis Blues have made through the playoffs, and another amazing thing about the Blues is they were in last place on January 3rd. Right. Did you read about the guy who put a $400 bet on them, a Blues fan? I did, yes. On January 3rd, this guy put a $400 bet on them as he was leaving Las Vegas from a business trip. He's like, oh, this would be fun. (laughs) He put $400 on them when they were in last place, and it just paid out $100,000. No. hundred grand, and he never hedged the bet. Because people are like, yeah, well, right. now if you bet a little bit on the Bruins, you're at least going to like you right. can hedge your loss. He's like, nope, I'm riding this all the way. Oh, man, I and love that. And they won, and he's $400 turned into a hundred grand. That's awesome. Uh, so anyway, um, through this playoff run, the St. Louis Blues have had this young super fan uh, who was on the ice for the celebration on Wednesday night by the name of Layla Anderson. Uh, Why is she special? 11-year-old girl Layla Anderson suffers from a rare life-threatening disease that results in the body making too many immune cells. Uh, And she had adopted the blues and especially uh, had become adopted, basically, by one of the defensemen by the name of Colton uh, Pareko. Uh, She was given the mic to rev up the crowd before Game 3. It's like they've Mm -hmm. really embraced her as like a super fan. Uh, and so they brought her out for the cup celebration, let her hold the cup with Pareko. It was this really uh, heartwarming moment. Uh, but also what became viral is before game seven, uh, her mom surprised her. So the Blues, St. Louis Blues, paid all expenses paid to fly her and her mom out right. uh, for the game. And when they surprised her with it, it was a tearjerker. And uh, to give us all a little bit of the feels, like we like to say, I like to say, uh, let's uh, let's listen to that moment. If you could watch the game anywhere in the world tomorrow, anywhere in the world, where would you watch your boys play game seven? Boston. Boston. What if I told you the Blues called mm-hmm. and they want you at the game? What? How? Doctor said it's okay. No, he didn't. Mommy, no, he didn't. Oh, my God. I'm going to Boston. I mean, that part where she just says to her mom, I love you through tears. It was so beautiful. And then they won and she's hoisting the cup. Like what? We can make our points off of this, but what a feel good story. What? It's so... Ah, so good. So good. <laughs> that's so, uh, that's how I just want to say, I just want to start the conversation by that's so good. Thoughts? <laughs> I agree. You're trying to compose yourself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that stuff does, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff anyway, but it just the story of a, a girl that, you know, and I feel like in a lot of ways, 
she has a depth of realization of what a gift any of like even just hearing her say the doctor's cleared it i've never had to get right travel cleared by a doctor before not that we have to make the story right now about that but like just the overwhelming gratitude yeah of I think it's more than a trip and I think it's more than a game. I think it's feeling like you're a part of something. Mm, I think that's part of what leads her to that kind of emotion. It's not just cool. I get to go witness an event for a thing that I care about. It's like, no, I'm a part of this. And I just think, especially for a kid that's, you know, who's experienced so much pain and heartache to feel like, man, like this is, I'm included in this when she's maybe felt really, you know, excluded in other areas of her life. I don't know. That's, that's pretty powerful. And what a cool thing like this, the blues are in the middle of a, of a Stanley cup run and this particular defenseman, right? He's in the middle of trying to help his team win the Stanley cup. That's a, that's everything you've always dreamed of. Yeah, No kidding. But then like, you could be like, Oh, you know, of course they're going to help this girl. Well, no, this guy really gave of time and energy to really love on this girl, the blues. I'm sure they were dealing with trying to get a whole lot of people to the game, friends, family, right. Executives, there's a lot of details that go into this. And so the care they took for this 11-year-old uh, super fan to really uh, give her a, this joy. I mean, you could hear it in her voice. She just was beyond uh, uh, thrilled and blown away that they were doing this for her. She was in tears. If you saw any of the clips from the games where she was at, she like the, the whole stadium just embraced her. Um there's so many lessons to be learned here. And we talked in the first hour about what was her name? Allie Stroker, who mm-hmm. won the Tony Award. Yeah. And not being defined by your limitations. And, and that has this feel, too. But, man, part of it is just this uh, concept of uh, no matter how important you are, how busy you are, these players, they're important. They're busy. They had stuff to do. Like, see the people around you and the opportunities you have to, like, bring joy into other people's lives, I think is an important thing for all of us to think about. And not to mention they could have lost the game. hundred percent. Right. Like that. I mean, that's the icing upon icing upon icing. And game six she was at, they were making a big deal about it and they lost five, one, a pretty devastating loss. Yeah. yeah. So to me, the victory obviously is, is maybe the reason that we're telling the story. If Mm -hmm. they hadn't, we probably wouldn't even know about it. But that idea though, of amidst, all sorts of understandable obligations. You would mention they're probably trying to get all sorts of family and friends to the game. Like no, no one would have blamed them for not getting around to inviting this girl. Yes. They would have, everyone would have said like, you got a lot going on. You got your, your mind is elsewhere, which is part of what makes this story so special. Because I think when you, when we see stories of Jesus who's headed somewhere and there's a crowd around him and a blind beggar is calling out his name. Yep. N- no one in the crowd expects Jesus to stop. No, it's completely justifiable that he keeps on going, keeps doing the things he's doing. He like pays attention to the crowd and the gravity and the movement and the inertia. And Jesus does the surprise, the unexpected thing and like stops the whole operation crouches down low and has a conversation with mm. the blind beggar. Not to mention that many people believe we're blind because he screwed up. Yes. So like, not only is he like screwing up the trajectory of where we're supposed to be going, he's talking to somebody that by their metrics is way beneath them yes way other and I, I don't know i think not to hyper spiritualize this story but like noticing the easily overlooked yeah. feels a lot like jesus to me yeah. and and I, I think that's difficult because you know you and i aren't playing in the stanley cup but like there is something to to be said about 
self-justifying, like, oh, I'm really busy right now. I don't have time to do this. And even as a pastor, sometimes it's like, ah, I don't think I have time for that thing because I got to yeah. work on the sermon or I got to get to one more appointment. And you know, making time to hit pause and notice the, the easily overlooked things and people I just think is always an important call. That's a great man. This is why I like doing the show with you because when I put this, this story out there, I was like, I'm not sure where we're going to go with it, but I know we'll get somewhere. (laughs) And man, great pastoral point about seeing people that that's quality. Thanks. Coming up next. I'm just going to read a tweet for us uh, that quotes John Maxwell that I think is uh, in in constant, uh, consistent with John Maxwell is a great leadership axiom. And so we're going to read that coming up next and react to it on the common good. AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. I don't mean to get in a rut and keep harping on the uh, on the new music, but man, if you had anything to do with this, well done. I'll take that. I wish people could see you right now. Just you're... you're I'm digging it, man. You're, you're going. You're, you're a drummer. It's a good band. I, think, I feel like it represents our show. No, ha- okay. happy does. You know, happy. I was happy-ish. <laughs> I'm not saying it wasn't happy. I'm saying the, the, the song "Happy." Like, oh, right. No, I like I've liked these songs. This I think is good. I think I think I cut "Happy." Actually, this is these are good songs. I'm enjoying them. All of them by Modest Mouse. So oh, we're excited okay. about that. All right. <laughs> You've never sounded cooler. Did you pull Modest Mouse? No. Oh, it's Modest. It's Mouse. It's actually already played this show. Really? <laughs> you'll, never, you'll never know. <laughs> I'll never. Oh, is it a different one than the one we used to? I'm not going to say. No. Our producer John is shaking his head violently now. John, so. don't, John. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. Yeah, you can have hope for him, but, you know, don't spoil all the surprises. That's true. Ah, man, I thought I had that modest mouse nailed. I had, I thought I had it just ready to go. Maybe you did. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, online at 1160hope.com. You can text us at 68683. Tell us what you think about the music. <laughs> Type in CG followed by the comment. Oh, and you can find our podcast, also The Common Good Radio Show. So, <coughs> excuse me. You are excused. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I came across a tweet the other day that was a quote uh, of John Maxwell. So this person, I have no idea who Don Hornsby is, but it was it was hashtag leadership. And he's quoting John Maxwell. And so I want to read this quote and uh, get your kind of feedback on it. If you think this is just, you know, if this is good for us as pastors, is this a good leadership quote for someone who might be a CEO or someone who's. I must said just a parent that that really is minimizing parenting way too far. Someone who is a parent or yeah. whatever. We're all leaders in some sense. So it says this leadership isn't about winning. It's about bringing people with you to the finish line. Let me read it again. Mm. Leadership isn't about winning. It's about bringing people with you to the finish line. That quote comes again from John Maxwell. As you hear that uh, someone who leads in a lot of different areas. What are your thoughts on that? I like it. Uh, I have a couple of comments. Okay. So you had mentioned earlier Dave Ferguson's Hero Makers, Dave yes. Ferguson and Warren Bird, by the way, who was, he played a huge part in that book as well. Okay. One of the things, one of the ideas that Dave talks about, um, I think pretty brilliantly, is don't be the hero, be the stage, be the platform. Mm. So this idea of like not just bringing with you to the finish line. I think I think Dave with Hero Maker goes even a step further and says sometimes maybe it's actually giving somebody else your shoes so that they can get across the finish line. You know, maybe, maybe it's mm. this passing of the baton. Maybe I'm running out this running marathon too far, but like I think so much of mentorship and apprenticeship and hero making is recognizing, all right, I got the baton right now. 
Uh, but who am I going to pass it off to? Right. Yeah. You know, and you know, like in baton races, there's an exchange zone. And if you, if you pass the baton outside the exchange zone or it gets dropped or it doesn't matter how fast you were leading up to that, the, the team loses. Yeah. And uh, this idea of like really thinking about who, who am I passing the baton to? Who am I pouring into? Who am I being mindful of your stage of life and the things that God's equipped you with? And I do, I do like the shift though, because I think in a lot of like corporate America, it is win at all costs, right? Yes. And it's usually winning at the expense of somebody else losing, mm. usually, right? And I think when that kind of language creeps into church work, it can be dangerous because the subtext sometimes is our church has to win, and that means that other churches then have to lose, Yeah, which nobody would say it that way, but, but sometimes... They live that way. There can be, a, yeah, a competitive territorialism that I don't, I don't know is always helpful, um, but like, you know, winning, we want to, you know, we talk a lot about... Um, what kind of scoreboard we have, like yeah. what kinds of things do we actually celebrate? What does it look like uh, to win here or win there? In a lot of ways, when we say, where are we winning? What we're saying is, where, where are we seeing God at work? Yeah, That's ultimately what I, I think what we're asking. I think it's, it's an important question to say, where are we seeing God at work? And yeah. how are we actually using our influence and our resources and our position and our posture to, to help other people get there as well? Yeah, that's good. Have you guys defined the scoreboard, would you say, as an organization, as a church? I have. I remember sitting in Exponential and being very challenged listening to Dave Ferguson hmm. uh, at the big com- the big Exponential conference out of Florida a couple years ago, and and Dave said his whole talk that day was about the scoreboard. What yeah. is your scoreboard? And usually, as churches, it's butts, budgets, and there's another B in there. Um, there oh, I don't even know that I've heard that. Yeah, or th- there's many different ways to talk about it, but. Um, but I remember being really challenged by him as to what, not only are you winning, but how are you defining winning? And I couldn't do it at that moment. I was like, Oh, right. what is it? And so I'm guessing that's a conversation you guys have a lot over yep. at a community. Yeah. The, the three words that we're using right now, and this is sort of, this informs what we call our KOs, our key objectives for the year, which we, you know, it's where we really kind of drill down into the nitty gritty, but the three words are healthy, generous and multiplying. Mm. And uh, we, you know, we'll impact those. And we have staff core values and all sorts of other things that kind of feed up toward that. But those are the, the three words that we're really leaning in on healthy, generous and multiplying. And we talk a lot um, both at location specific levels, but also as an all staff, like what does that look like? How are we doing in these areas? We celebrate people that are living them out well and uh, just keeping them out in front, I think, is is, yeah. a, is a thing that they've historically done a fantastic job of doing. Because at churches, that's what we normally do. We normally say, how many people are coming? Are you making your budget? Right. Oh, it's it's uh, it's butts in the seat, budget, and buildings. Am I growing a building? Buildings. Am I building Got bigger? It. That's Got what it. it has always been. And those things aren't insignificant. They are not bad. No, yeah. and they, you know, numbers matter and those kinds of things. But those are usually the only three that we ever use to judge a church by. Um, I'm interested, and I've read Hero Maker, but... When he talks about be the stage, yeah, help me flesh out that imagery a little bit. Is it like not only, not only bring somebody with you, but but put them in front of you, or what? What is that imagery? So yeah, the example I've heard Dave give a number of times is uh, Todd Wilson at Exponential. Todd Wilson, in a lot of ways, is like the he's the uh, the guy behind the scenes of Exponential. That's right, and he like lives, breathes, sleeps, dreams it, and and Dave will say it at every Exponential. Like I'm on the stage right now. But let's give it up for Todd because Todd is the one that's like living in all of this, and he's and and Dave is very involved, and in he's the you know he's the president of Exponential. But um, he talks a lot about Todd being that example of you know Todd in a lot of ways has kind of helped build this whole thing, and then gives Dave a stage, gives Dave a platform 
to talk about these things. Mm-hmm. So he 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 harkens back to Todd a lot as as really one of the key examples of of living that out. That's really good. It should challenge us. Like all of us lead at some level. You don't have to be yeah. a pastor. You don't have to be a CEO. Like as as a as a parent, I'm leading my children, right? As a um, you know a coach, I'm leading this team and. Uh, the question becomes, what is the goal of your leadership? And Maxwell here uh, and Ferguson says it a little differently, like you said, but Maxwell here is saying, uh, think about uh, it's not about using people so that you win. Right. It's right. not about exalting yourself. It's about bringing people with you to the finish line. So I, I hear him saying a little bit like, man, wouldn't it be great to get to the end and go? We won. We won. And uh, and you know what? The, the, the secret about that is going to be that. If I think that when I've worked under other people, if they live, if they lead like that, I'm so excited to follow them and I'm so excited to work for them and I'm totally. they're going to get my best. Totally. That's the the African proverb that we often quote. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe the subtext there is ask yourself, which is more important to you? Do you want, do you want to simply go fast or do you actually want to go far? Mm-hmm. Because I think some people have to first confront the reality. They're like, oh, I'm actually not interested and going far, I just want to be known yeah. or I want to be the star or I want to be on top. And, you know, you got to call that for what it is. And I think a lot of times in ministry world, we kind of couch it with like spiritual language that, you know, we can kind of talk in circles around it. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate being a part of an organization that holds these values up and then creates systems to help us to help us all actually do that rather than sort of, you know, sanctimonies and platitudes from a stage. I think the answer is probably that often we would answer that question by I want to go far and I want people to give me credit for it. Uh, <laughs> I want them to be amazed by how far I've taken us. And isn't, it's, it's isn't that a Reagan quote where he says that you you'd be amazed at what you could accomplish when people don't actually care who gets the credit. Uh, if I don't know who said that, but that's a really good quote. Yeah, something like that. I think probably deep down a lot of us, we're prideful enough and narcissistic enough that it's like, I'd rather go really far and everyone go look at him instead Mm -hmm. of look at them. And, and, but you make a great point when it's them, you're going to go further totally, and you're probably gonna have more fun doing it. And it's going to be a more rewarding experience. So that's the quote from Maxwell. Leadership isn't about winning. It's about bringing people with you to the finish line. We want you to wrestle with that and, uh, and let us know if you agree Uh, or not. Well, coming up next on The Common Good, let's discuss this article that says this. In a divided world, we need to choose empathy. We're going to talk about this choice of empathy next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. I just wish you all could see the joy in Ian's face because he doesn't know what music is coming up next, but he's helped choose them. Like, I, there's genuine joy on your face when I'm, you hear a song that you like. I know, man. I, I don't That's even great. know these songs. I know, but I, I'm learning that you are just a, a you are, you appreciate not just good music, but certain types of music, probably. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's really funny. There's there is a legitimate joy on your face as it comes in. I'm feeling it. That's fun. Thanks, that's man. fun. And that makes me think, like, what would it come on that I would feel legitimate joy? My guess has to do with sports. If, like, all of a sudden they turn the TV on above us and, like, a Mets game was on, you'd see me like, <gasps> like, oh, my goodness. But you would no longer talk about the topic, though. That's the, that's the difference, I think. You, you'd be distracted. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. And, uh, yes, that is true. 
But yeah, I'd love to watch a good baseball game. <laughs> That's what this comes down to. Hmm. Well, here's an article. In a divided world, we need to choose empathy. Uh, it's out of something called the greatergood.berkeley.edu. So not obviously out of a Christian organization. In fact, Berkeley is going to be uh, the other end of the spectrum in terms of uh, on most topics. So let me read to you the beginning of it. Uh, as I dialed the number, my palms began to sweat. Uh, The person on the other end wasn't a loan officer or angry angry lawyer. He was an old friend and we were about to catch up. This should be a mildly pleasant, but was instead nerve wracking. You see, I'd reached out to him because we had a problem over the years. My friend's politics and my own had taken incompatible turns on social media. I saw him growing reactionary. He saw me becoming soft, quote, politically correct academic. We sniped at each other online, then over text. After a while, I realized we'd forgotten our friendship And I propose that we talk to each other to try and bridge our differences. Why did this seem so hard for my friend and I? And why do so many of us feel that human connection has become increasingly out of reach? And then this author goes on to say that's what this person has talked about in their new book, The War for Kindness. For over a decade, uh, she says, I've documented the many ways that empathy helps individuals, relationships and teams I've also learned how fragile it can be, but there are ways to reignite empathy. And if more of us can do so, we'll all be better off. Like I read this and I was like, amen, this concept of empathy. Um, But would you agree? Like we live in a in a culture that struggles to be empathetic. Yeah. And the very end of the article talks about how when we uh, empathize lazily and that tends to be. For people that don't believe we can actually get better at it, Mm. empathy tends to only apply to people with whom we identify. So like people within our tribe or people who look or talk or act or believe like we do, which um, the argument is that's lazy empathy. Like it's actually Mm. not that difficult to empathize with somebody who already sort of looks like you. The real challenge is to first believe that you can get better at it, to treat it really like a muscle or a skill. And then second, to do the hard work of empathizing with someone that you maybe mm. instinctually do not want to empathize with. Yeah. That's that's the real trick. I don't think it's that we, oh, as a culture, social media has uh, evaporated our empathy. I don't, I don't I think gotcha. that's true at all. I, I think we've become more lazy in our empathy and more convinced and entrenched in our opinions and positions, which makes it very hard to be empathetic. Mm. Yeah, and there's studies that this author talks about that, that, that give data to the point that we are less empathetic. So this isn't just... Oh, I hope, well, you know, are we more empathetic? Are we not? It's it's pretty cut and dry that we're less empathetic as a culture. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, how would you define empathy versus, I guess, sympathy is not. Maybe sympathy is yeah. one of the words. How would you define it? Maybe people out there going, I feel bad for people when things happen to them. I feel what, what help us understand empathy. I think I've given this definition here, but Brene Brown has this brilliant little clip that somebody animated and the, uh, the animation is um, somebody walking past a hole and they look into the hole and they realize that somebody's fallen into the hole mm-hmm. and sympathy stands outside the hole and says, Oh man, uh, that's a real uh, bummer. Sorry, sorry that happened to you. That re- that really stinks. Empathy is climbing down into the hole with them. And I, I think defining empathy as climbing into the hole, which often means um, just simply grieving. It's not. She goes mm. on to say something like we're inclined to say things like, well, at least it wasn't this bad or at uh. least you don't have as bad as Carl or like we, we often try to do that as a way to 
kind of bolster their emotions. And, and she makes the case that that's actually very antithetical to empathy because it, it works in some capacity to diminish what they're feeling yeah. or what they're doing. And um, she does actually go on to, to list a couple of ideas about how to build empathy, which I think is really, really helpful because some people, and I hear people all the time say things like, I'm just not an empathetic person. Right. So you first have to have the question, are you okay with that? But secondly, if you're not okay with that, you can actually get better. And so the three suggestions, again, not a uh, not a quote unquote Christian article, but has has some really great um, suggestions for how to build empathy. The first is meditation. The idea that we can control what we feel may run counter to our beliefs, but other traditions have embraced it for a millennia. Con- uh, contemplative practices such as loving kindness meditation were developed specifically to help individuals sharpen their empathy, and an increasing amount of evidence suggests that they actually work. Mm. Number two is storytelling. Where statistics fail to move us, stories succeed. They bring us into one person's perspective, allow us to resonate with their joy and their pain, and are steeped in humanity. In fact, even fictional stories help us to empathize with real people. And the third is friendship. I think this is so important. Empathy dissolves when we see the world in terms of us and them, but it recovers just as quickly when we return to you and I. Decades of Uh. research demonstrates that when people make close personal contact with members of other groups, uh, under the right conditions, they experience less prejudice. This is in part because they find it easier to empathize with that individual's perspective and, by extension, with their group as a whole. So those three, meditation, storytelling, and friendship, I think are really helpful, important places to start and probably easier said than done, to be honest. I think that last one, especially proximity and like getting to know people is so important. And that is the spot where social media has hurt us, I think, because it's easy to lob grenades at people. How many times have you looked at someone else's Facebook or, you know, maybe it's been your own, but a lot of times I'll see in other people where it's like, they never say that to the person, yeah, but they would say it. Also your definitions and your is really helpful about empathy versus sympathy and, and, because sometimes empathy is, in fact, oftentimes empathy is just sitting quietly with a person. <laughs> and like in the book of Job, uh, I know when we've gone through hard times in life, like it's just the people who are willing to sit with you and, and be there with you. Um, what would you say? You read some great ones, but, you know, the person out there going, hey, I do want to be more empathetic. Um, one or two takeaways. What would you uh, to, for Ian Simpkins to grow as an empathetic person, what is one or two things you think you would do? Well, let me let me read this. This just comes right before more? that Go. that list of three that I think might answer that question. Uh, it says reason and passion work together, not against each other. Every time you remind yourself that a scary movie is just a movie, or breathe deeply before reprimanding your child, or choose music to psych yourself up for a big game, you decide how you want to feel and definitely tune your emotions to suit your will. This goes for empathy as well. We actively turn it up or down and make choices about empathy all the time. Will you cross the street to avoid a homeless person or pay attention to their pain? Will you dismiss someone who disagrees with you or cultivate curiosity about why they feel the way they do over time? Empathetic choices add up building empathetic habits and eventually empathetic people. In other words, empathy is like a muscle which we can build or leave to atrophy. It's great. So either way, like, see, I think that honestly for a lot of people might be a light bulb, whether or not they're into meditation or storytelling, regardless of how they actually live that out. That may be the biggest victory is just recognizing that this is a yep. thing that you can actually grow in and that we make decisions all the time about whether or not we pursue growing that muscle or we leave it to atrophy. That's really good, man. Let's leave it right at that empathy. We are called to be empathetic people. And I think the concept of, 
empathy as a muscle versus like, well, I'm just not an empathetic person. Like that is uh, that is a huge takeaway. And we would challenge you just look at your own self, look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, am I an empathetic person? If not, why not? Uh, well, coming up next, we are going to dive into uh, what we like to call landing the plane. <laughs> And it, you, the, you certainly do. This is the way we like to end every show. It's just crazy stories from the internet, from the mind of Keith Conrad, our executive producer. That is what is coming up next on the Common Good. AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. It is the end of the week. It is Friday. It is the last segment, and the way we end every show, if you regularly listen to us, you know uh, that we take crazy stories from the internet, things that have come our way, uh, but they are brought to us by Keith Conrad, our executive producer. Uh, Neither Ian nor I have read any of these. We have had no input on choosing these, and then so we get to laugh at these. We get to shake our head. We get to be really disappointed in these. I feel like our disclaimer gets longer and longer yeah. every time. <laughs> As they get more and more questionable with each that's one. That's right. That's true. It's all right, man. You go first. Oh, don't mind if I do. Ever heard of Florida? I've been there. Man goes for Guinness World Record by watching Avengers Endgame 200 times in theaters. Why? So many people come to mind about Would this Would you one go? <laughs> I think I know some of them. Uh, here's something to marvel at. Ha ha ha. An Avengers fan claims to have watched Endgame 114 times and says he's not planning to stop watching anytime soon. Uh, Augustine Alanis from Florida says he's going for the Guinness World Record. The 30-year-old hopes to watch the movie 200 times before it leaves theaters. Alanis is watching the blockbuster approximately four to five times every weekend. Hopefully, he's catching those discounted matinees. Rest assured that I was on the internet within minutes, registering my disgust throughout the world. <laughs> so what is the record, though? I don't Two know. Just hours spent in... Th- I don't I think don't I want to know. I don't know, but he's going to need that record on his resume when he's looking for a job. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. New York. Chief grilling officer sought to travel country sampling barbecue ribs. Yes, please. Oh, boy. The makers of Reynolds Wrap announced they are seeking someone willing to spend two weeks getting paid to travel the country eating barbecue. The company said the, quote, chief grilling officer will receive $10,000 plus prepaid travel and lodging costs to travel the country for two weeks in August while tasting and savoring barbecue ribs from some of the top barbecue rib cities in the country. The person will be responsible for sharing photos, techniques and grilling tips on the Reynolds Kitchen website. The job posting said applications will be composed of a photo of the candidate grilling with 100 words on why they are qualified for the position. <laughs> I don't know why they call this stuff hamburger helper. It does uh, just fine by itself, huh? <laughs> I think we've had that one before. Oh, boy. Too. My home state, Michigan, America's high five. Detroit man named Henry Ford wanted for stealing cars in Motor oh, City. No. Oh, boy. A Detroit man named Henry Ford. That's fitting is wanted for stealing vehicles in and around the Motor City. WXYZ in Detroit reports that the 49-year-old Ford uh, has served prison time for the crimes, but recently cut off his tether and mailed it back to the Michigan Department of Corrections when he decided he should be off parole. (laughs) He just decided at time. He's like, here here you go. Most recently, he's accused of stealing tires off a Ford EcoSport. Evidence of his thefts was also found in his F-150. Well, at least it's another Ford. Yeah. Henry Ford wanted for robbing cars. Come on the man. This doesn't, uh, th- this don't make sense. Deputy Aaron Garcia told the TV station, this guy's a thief. 
He's been a thief his whole life. He went to prison being a thief, and now he's back out. He was on parole, still continuing to be a thief. That's amazing. That's like an ice cream man named Cone. <laughs> That's a really good drop. That's funny. Can I ask you, you're from Detroit. Is yeah. it really WXYZ? Yeah. That's awesome. WXYZ. WXYZ. Yeah. Yep. All right. Illinois. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. Oh, it's our one. Look at it. The sky deck ledge of the Willis Tower cracks under visitors' feet. This is the one you put on our Facebook. I did put it on our Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. The visitors to the Willis Tower's sky deck got an extra scare Monday when the attraction protective layer covering the glass splintered into thousands of pieces. The Willis Tower said no one was in any danger as the protective layer did what it was supposed to do. Uh, There was a woman with two quick kids and they looked really pale and scared because the floor just cracked. The glass sightseeing box extends from the 103rd floor of the Willis Tower and attracts about 1.5 million visitors per year. The ledge is designed to hold up to five tons, and its protective coating is intended to keep the ledge from cracking. The protective layer did crack before in May 2014, but also in that case, there was no immediate danger to anyone. Okay, I'm uh, I'm going to need a change of clothes. (laughs) That feels like such a PR thing to like, oh, no one was in any no real in danger. danger. The protective layer did what it was supposed to do. As Jill, as Johnny is hanging from the yeah. ledge. <laughs> right. I would not do well in that situation. All right, to close us out from England, for sale, haunted medieval prison that held accused witches. This is a weird note weird. to end on. Yes, it is. A small building in England that was once a medieval prison for people accused of witchcraft is now a cozy home in need of an owner. No Thank you. But prospective buyers should be forewarned. The sordid history of the former jail known as The Cage, oh gosh, has led many to claim that the house is haunted, with some calling it the most haunted house in England. Uh, Real estate agency home Domus360 wrote in a listing on Facebook, with a reputation attracting TV crews from around the world, this unique two-bedroom cottage comes available with many resident ghosts. What makes you think she's a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt. (laughs) A newt. Worth it, worth it for the sound for clip. the drop, for the drop. That's crazy. I would, uh, I would never live in a place like that. No, thank you. Hey, have a great weekend, man. Hey, appreciate it. Likewise, a- absolutely. We hope you all out there have a great weekend as well. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.